You've seen their TV shows. You've watched their webcasts. Now, Partigan and Stapes invite you to Poker in the Ears. Hello, my babies, and welcome to Poker in the Ears. I am Uncle Daddy Joe Stapleton. He is my work wife, James Hardigan. Greetings. And it is a beautiful day in Los Angeles. It is a beautiful day in the whole world because Tom Brady lost the Super Bowl. <laughs> Everyone hates a winner, or maybe it's just me, but fuck you, Tom I Brady. I think it's fair to say that most people root against the Patriots. But what a game. I know you're not a huge fan of the sport, Joe, but you watched the Super Bowl. You must have appreciated that. Not only did I appreciate the game, uh, how good a game it was, but if you notice, or maybe you didn't notice, but like usually I'm using the Super Bowl as like an opportunity to live tweet shit. The game was like too good and too exciting. I just I was off my phone for yeah. most. Of, I mean, I was still trying to find a Tinder date for later, but instead of Tindering and tweeting. It did feel I like watched. someone had switched Madden to arcade mode. It was just insane play after insane play. What was it like? A total of nearly 1,200 yards total offense, the most in in playoff history. Yeah, it was it was insane. Uh, there was missed kicks early in the game, which is like you're just baffled by. There was all the bobbling and the catching and the people catch as they're falling into the end zone. It was, I mean, it was it was really fun. Anyway. Anyway, coming up on today's show, we were off the air for a long time. And you know what's the number one thing I did during that time? Recover from your various illnesses? Nope, Tinder. Ah. But you know what the number two thing was? In addition to the recovery, I'm going to say it was watch a lot of movies and TV shows. Well, it was Bumble, but then ah. after that, it was watch a lot of movies and TV shows, mostly TV, some movies too. Some of them, James and I are going to chit-chat about for a while today, uh, also including an in-depth recap of the movie Molly's Game, uh, the best non-poker movie to feature poker since Ocean's Eleven. Is that the review you would send into the studio in a desperate attempt to get your name on a poster? Yeah, absolutely. And I would also <laughs> call it a, sla- a slam-bang action thriller. Um, we're going to talk about the most recent Star Wars film, which is The Last Jedi. Warning, there are going to be spoilers up the wazoo. James and I are, are getting completely naked of spoilers and running through the forest talking Last Jedi. And today's super fan is Chris Sanderson from Durham in the UK. His specialist subject is the original Star Wars, the 1977 classic that started it all and is now responsible for a host of spinoffs, including Solo. Worst trailer ever. Okay, so Solo, the Solo trailer aired during the Super Bowl. I've I've, uh, I've fallen out with Star Wars in a big way in the last 48 hours. Number one, because that so- Solo trailer aired. First of all, there was the little teaser that was a Super Bowl advert. And it's like, oh my God, this looks like shit. I hope the full length trailer is better. Then I watched the full length trailer and went, no, this film looks like it's going to be a Ron Howard Star Wars movie. And then we had the announcement in the last 24 hours that like... Uh, David Benioff and D.B. Weiss are going to make their own Star Wars trilogy when they're done with Game of Thrones. Too much saturation. You can have too much of a good thing. Buddy, how did you not see this coming, though? This is exactly what, as soon as Disney bought this, I was like, cool, welcome to the Marvel Universe, Disney. Yeah. It's just going to be movie after movie after movie, and I'm sure some of them will be good. And eventually, once they figure this out, it'll be like Marvel, where you watch every one, and you go, that was an 8. Oh, that was a 9. Oh, that was a 7.5 question am i just down on the solo trailer because i know it's a ron howard movie i know about its production problems or did you have the same reaction I, okay so i didn't watch the full trailer i didn't realize there was anything more than what aired during the super bowl but 
as I sat there watching, I sat there going, I turned, I was like in, in front of the room and I turned around, I was like, that's pretty cool, right? And all of my friends were just shaking their heads and they were like, no. It was not cool at all. No, that that would have been cool if the trailer showed remotely anything about what the movie was about. The Super Bowl teaser is better than the actual teaser trailer, which you can see on any oh, of the really? sites like IMDb or Rotten Tomatoes or anything like that. Um, yeah, so everyone really hated it, and I was like, okay, cool. Like, I'm is as much as I will go like coming up later in the show when we talk about the new Star Wars movie. I wasn't a huge fan, but I'm not cynical going in. Uh, I guess marketing just works on me, but yeah, I mean, I was like, this looks pretty cool. Everyone else thought it looked stupid. Just to do a little bit more on the Super Bowl, I don't know if you saw this, but at the end of the game, did you see Kevin Hart getting denied by security? No, I didn't. I bear in mind, I didn't watch it live. I mean, the time okay. difference does not work in the favor of people who have to work for a living. So even though I knew the result, I watched the game the following night. But because of that, I watched the edited highlight. Well, not highlights, but the edited broadcast with no commercial breaks. And when it got to the presentation at the end, they cut around that as well. Yeah, exactly. So, but while every, you know, they're kind of doing live shots of everyone trying to yeah. take the stage and Kevin Hart's trying to force his way onto the stage and the security guard won't let him in. Oh, bless and then him. A, like an hour or two later, he posted like a drunken explanation on Instagram. And he was like, this is why you don't drink. This is why drink is bad. <laughs> it's very funny. The weird uh, thing is, it check did, it out. I mean, I know that obviously there are so many celebrities who get tickets to the Super Bowl, but it did really tilt me that every time uh, the Eagles scored or did something amazing, we had to watch Bradley Cooper's reaction in slow motion. Yeah, I mean, it's, I found that weird too. I was like, the stars are on the field. Like, wh whatever. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, now, this whole thing... Did you follow Chris Moneymaker on Twitter saying he was yeah. giving his bracelet to Justin Timberlake? Um, I did, and I couldn't tell. No, I was not sure if serious. I I think it was legit. I, I think it was true. I, well, I don't. I looked very closely during the halftime show to see if I could spot Moneymaker's bracelet on Justin Timberlake's wrist. Um, I couldn't see it. Um, I have to say, and I'm a huge Justin Timberlake fan. I love so much of his stuff. That was one of the worst halftime shows I've ever seen. It was pretty meh. Like, and, and I hopefully, James, you temper that with still a pretty good show, like pretty it, cool. Th th this is the thing. Because the halftime shows are normally so great, when yeah. someone delivers something a bit meh, it feels worse than it actually is. It was just a huge disappointment. It was just a huge letdown. We, Me and my buddies do this bit about how... Um, you know, living in LA, everyone's like an actor or a writer or a or a dancer or whatever. And we do this bit about how whenever we see someone playing like a really stupid bit part in something, we do this improv about how we're calling their parents and we're like, Mom, Dad, it happened. I finally made it. And we did that bit about the girl he walks past as he's going up the stairs and he just nods at her. Yeah. Mom, Dad, I made it. I know you said I should move to LA and I know that I've been living off you guys for seven years, but just watched the Super Bowl this Sunday. I finally did it. Yep, Justin Timberlake nods at me as he walks past. I know it's a dream come true. Um, big Sunday for poker also, huh? Yes, it was the anniversary, the joint anniversary, both the Sunday Storm and the Sunday Million. I think there may have been a mistake in trying to schedule both anniversaries the same night and on the same night as the Super Bowl. I'm sure players were loving the value in the Sunday Million anniversary. That's what we're calling it, value. That's what we're calling it. It's exceptional <laughs> added value for players. Uh, whereas the Sunday Storm obviously just did gangbusters. No real surprise. It's a much lower buy-in. Uh, always a hugely popular event. But I think it's always going to be tough because so many people who are online poker players are also going to be interested in watching the Super Bowl and betting on the Super Bowl. It was a lot going 
going on in one night and maybe people's attentions were diverted. Now, a few people have mentioned that there was some big Netflix thing, which I knew nothing about. Yeah, because if you didn't watch it live, so what happened was, um, you know, they did you know, a couple of the really big movie trailers. They did, I think they did Jurassic World, then they did Han Solo, and then they did one for Cloverfield, for the new Cloverfield movie. And everyone's like, oh, Cloverfield. And then at the end of the trailer, up pops the Netflix logo. And like a couple people I was with in the room were like, you know, it'd be really cool. It's like if that movie was just like available to watch right now. Well, the next commercial break, they're like, oh, by the way, the movie is available to watch right now. And about half the people I was at a Super Bowl party with uh, went home and watched it, myself included. Now, I remember when this film was announced, and I'm pretty sure it was meant to receive a theatrical release. I'm skeptical if it's gone straight to Netflix. <laughs> well, it is not good. It is, right. It is it's very, it's, very It's bad. like those classic action movies that went straight to VHS in the mid to late 80s. The equivalent now is you go straight to Netflix or straight to Prime. Right, and the thing is that it'll become difficult to know the difference because there are some genuinely very good movies that go straight, that went straight to VHS back in the day. Uh, just as there are some very good movies that have gone straight to Netflix. This is not one of them. Yeah. And I, although we're not doing our spoiler field filled review of Cloverfield, it is one of those movies, James, that's so bad. I want you to watch it so that we can actually talk about it. And I'm sorry. Well, let's talk about the stuff that we've both seen, or at least that you've seen. Um, you literally wrote a shopping list of every single movie and TV show that you have seen in the last few months. I wish it were every single one. This is just what I can remember. Okay. But I'm going to I'm gonna rattle. Th These are things that I'm like completely caught up on or nearly completely caught up on. Uh, and if you want to chime in, I'll do a, like a quick little pause in between some of them. Sherlock? I haven't seen a single episode of Sherlock. Big Mouth, a new animated series on Netflix. Glenn Weber, super fan, suggested that to me. Great. Loved it. Watched it in like a day and a half. The People vs. O.J. Simpson. Love that show. Excellent. Ray Donovan, I caught up through season four. Okay, I haven't seen season five yet. Season four sucks, right? It was really bad. Season three, I thought was just as good as season one and two. Burned through it. Season four, really boring. The Good Place. Don't know it. Kirby Curb Your Enthusiasm. I thought it got better. I didn't like the start of the new season, but it got better as it went on. Totally agree. Vice Principals. Eesh, couldn't get past Strange the pilot. Uh, it is a tough pilot to get through, not going to lie. Uh, Stranger Things, which we've talked about, yep. but I finally finished it. Lady Bird. Recommended? It's excellent. I don't see... It's one of those things, though, that... Um, it's, you know, it's about an American high school girl, so I'm not sure it'll translate. Boyhood, you seem to really like, even though that seemed like a really uniquely American experience to me. So maybe you'd like Lady Bird. Uh, Thor, which I would see again in the theater, honestly, was so entertaining. Three Billboards of Ebbing, Missouri, which I, I believe to be the best movie I've seen this year, uh, or last year, I should say. Uh, Brigsby Bear, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Hunter, Crashing, which I think is my new favorite comedy at the moment. Uh, about a stand-up comic uh, trying to make it in New York. Ingrid Goes West. Godless, which is probably my favorite TV show of the year, with Western by Scott Frank. The Sinner. 
Master of None. That's what I can just remember. Godless is on my list. It's definitely one I want to want to check out. Um, I actually haven't watched as much as you, not nearly half as much as you. The show I've been binging in recent weeks is Mr. Robot because all oh, three so seasons good. are on Amazon Prime. It's fucking fantastic. And I think it might just be the third best show on television after Better Call Saul and Westworld. The first season... Um, to be honest with you, I think is the weakest. By season three, I was thinking this is a masterpiece. And what's so clever about it is that clearly this is a show which at the beginning was very carefully plotted and planned with character relationships and story arcs carefully mapped out. And things are revealed towards the end of season three that makes you want to go back to the beginning of season one because you realize it informs everything. Really? And it's Yeah, it's just such a clever show. That's so refreshing. Now, I, I got through about halfway through season two of that show, and really the only reason I stopped is because uh, it's not as available on stream, streaming services here as it is for you guys over there because there is on TV here. Uh, so it's a little harder to track down for free unless you time it right while it's on TV. Um, but so often you watch these TV shows where you expect there to be some kind of master plan, and there almost always isn't. It's almost always some sort of like sort of cobbling it together as they go along. And it's really refreshing to hear that someone's put some, uh, some foresight into it. So when you say the third best show, where do you rank game of Thrones in there? Does that even rate for you? Game of Thrones is top five for sure. Okay. Of, of current right. shows. But as I've, I've always say, and I, I'll repeat the cliche game of Thrones biggest strength has always been its sheer scope and the number of characters and storylines and its biggest weakness has always been its sheer scope and its number of characters and storylines. <laughs> I've always found game of Thrones to be a flawed masterpiece. Um, yeah. the other thing I would recommend by the way is black mirror season four. Um, if I could write just one hour of television as good as Charlie Brooker, I'd be happy. But he seems to do it again and again and again. Every single episode is always unique, is always has its own identity, its own themes, uh, its own strengths and weaknesses. I just think the guy is a genius. I can't deny that. He's certainly a very talented guy. I would say that I've, I'm so woefully behind on Black Mirror for the simple reason that I cannot binge it. You can't binge After it. I made the After mistake. every episode, I'm like, oh, my God, oh. Jesus Christ. Well, I'm just going to need a minute. And then I have to, like, <laughs> go to Disneyland or something just to forget how fucking depressed I am. Do you remember when you mentioned recently that apparently when you're on a plane, you're in a heightened state of emotion or that yeah. something I'm affected? I made the mistake on a flight to the Bahamas no. a few years back. I binge-watched, get this, season one and season two and the Christmas special of Black Mirror, and I felt so depressed at the end of it. I was crying, I was miserable, and since then, when like season three initially dropped on Netflix, I watched like an episode a week, and I did the same thing with season four. In between episodes of Mr. Robot, it's like, oh, I'll check out another Black Mirror. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you can't do it. And speaking of watching things on planes, um, very recently on my last flight back home, I watched Dunkirk. And you know I'm like prone to cry on planes. And I did cry here and there in the movie. Why the fuck did they do it like that? That's what I said. There's absolutely no reason for the disrupted narrative. And, you know, I will often think this about um, movies that involve uh, people from other cultures that I that I don't necessarily notice differences in their faces that well. Like if I'm watching like a Chow Yun fat movie, I'll sometimes confuse the characters. These were just, I was like, all these white people look exactly the same. And so I was like, is that a, is that a different white dude in a dark belly of an airplane? Or is that the same? What the fuck is happening? Why? 
I will just rattle through some films because uh, we'll move on to Molly's game in just a moment. Um, I'll be honest with you. I don't feel I've watched anything outstanding in a while. I haven't seen Three Billboards, but obviously I hear great things from everyone. I did revisit Blade Runner 2049 because it's now out in, in 4K streaming, and I think it's a much better film than the original. I it's re- so good. I revisited the original Blade Runner before rewatching 2049. It's like, eesh, this is not dated well. Um, the following films I really enjoyed. Logan Lucky and Get Out. Logan Lucky is my number two or three movie of the year. Uh, Get Out is from, I guess it is from this year. I mean, uh, from 2017. Get Get Out, well, to show you, I bought two DVDs in all of 2017, Logan and Get Out. Get Out is just a, a masterpiece. It's just so new, so different, perfect movie. Now, I liked, didn't love, but liked Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Baby Driver, American Made, and Free Fire. I was not a fan of Atomic Blonde, and we actually had a conversation about this because I got into it with some idiot on Twitter who said it's because I hate women. And (laughs) I quit watching The Dark Tower after 30 minutes. I'm sorry, but I just, life's too short. I I didn't get into The Dark Tower at all. Like, I didn't attempt it, but I did like Atomic Blonde a lot. Um, I thought it was really fun. But, you know, it's weird. Um... Do you know that really gratuitous lesbian sex scene? Yeah. I went to the bathroom during that. Like, not on, not intentionally. I just okay, had to go. Okay, I thought you were saying that you had to go. No, 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 no. Like, I, I, I was, like, just waiting. For, I was like, okay, this seems like it might be a boring moment in the movie. And I left, and I came back. And I was like, you missed it! You missed the gratuitous sex scene! And I was like, that, that's okay. I like, you know, there's porn. Um, so I, I, I really like that movie. But, you know, I, that's not one that I would, like, fight to the death. Like, you know, like it, you know, like it. Uh, another movie that I would add to my list of very good movies, films that I really enjoyed, and definitely on the list of best films of 2017, is Molly's Game, which we're going to get into now. So, Joe, when Molly's Game came out, people were saying, yay, it's a great poker movie, but what actually constitutes a poker movie? Yeah, I mean, it's not, I don't want to get into the whole, like, as a hot dog, a sandwich argument with uh, with poker movies, but I don't think this is a poker movie, but it is the best poker movie since the last poker movie. So it's kind of a poker movie by default. Like, I think to make something a poker movie, the way I would judge it is, is the plot of the movie about a player winning or losing in a poker game? This is not about that. No, but poker is a central part of it. Just to give an overview of what this film is about. Um, so this is the story of Molly Bloom, who published the book Molly's Game about the poker game that she ran in Los Angeles. So she was an Olympic-class skier who had a bad fall, a bad accident, which basically ended her skiing career, then was kind of doing odd jobs in Los Angeles, including being the personal assistant to some big hotshot, who then got her to run this poker game for him and his friends. And sooner or later, she basically branched out on her own and started running this game for all these rich dudes, Hollywood stars, kind of movers and shakers in the LA scene. And then eventually got kind of shafted by one of the people in that game, a character who in the book and in the movie is referred to as Player X, she relocates to New York, starts to run her game again, 
Unfortunately, there's some now shady characters playing in the game, including some Russian mobsters, but she makes a big mistake. She gets greedy, I guess, and she starts raking the game. And of course, when you're just running a poker game at home, it doesn't matter what the stakes are. If you're not taking any kind of fee, it's a home game. That's fine. Especially in California. But if you're raking a poker game, effectively, you are running an illegal casino. And considering some of the criminal elements that were frequenting the game in New York, she got busted by the feds and she got offered a deal, I think, for like total immunity if she would name names, but she wouldn't. She decided to protect the names of all the people who played in her game. Right. And so my only issues with this movie on the whole is that she is portrayed as a much more benevolent and saintly character than the person that I had heard about over the years, Um, which, hey, maybe I was wrong. Rumors could be wrong. Uh, Maybe those stories were wrong. I think it probably makes for a better movie for her to be this like person who's doing everything for all the right reasons most of the time. Um, So, you know, when I hear that she protected all these people, to me, it sounds more like maybe she was scared uh, for her own safety, considering a lot of them were really high up members of the Russian mob. And James, you've probably heard this, like L.A.'s mafia doesn't really exist. Yeah. Like there, there is, you know, you've got the Armenian mob and the Russian mob out here, but it's not like New York. It's not like New York where like the mob is heavily involved in, in most facets of anything illegal going on. So um, and I didn't. I always seem to remember the story, too, of her, that she was a madam. Wasn't that always the thing that, that went along with this, that she was a madam that was running these games? Um, I'd see, I'd never heard that. I never heard it described that way, to be honest. Um, the film is obviously also dealing with the fact that she then writes the book about running the game. And again... Yes, and that's interesting, right? How do you... How do you base a movie on a book that includes the book? Well, it's Aaron Sorkin, (laughs) who is clearly one of the best writers working in Hollywood, a very clever man. And this is his directorial debut as well. So he wrote and directed this film. But it deals with the aftermath of the book, which is, again, having been offered a huge amount of money by the publisher to name names and tell all, she holds a lot back, therefore doesn't get the kind of money from the book that maybe would have set her up for life and instead is facing huge legal fees and most of the movie is obviously told in flashback and it's about the dynamic between her and her attorney played by Idris Elba and her dad plays a huge part in the role uh, in, in the film as well both in flashback and in present day and so much has been said about both Jessica Chastain and Idris Elba justifiably because they're both excellent but can we please have some love for Kevin Costner as well who I think is superb as her father I, look, I've never, I've never fallen out of love with Kevin Costner. Of course, he's made some clunkers over the years, which I just haven't seen. But yeah, he is excellent. Um, the to me, the two standout moments of this movie are both in the last half hour. Uh, there's a nice speech be- by Idris Elba, and then followed right up by a great scene between Kevin Costner and Jessica Chastain. And they're the kind of scenes in a movie that you like want to stand up and clap afterward. They're just fantastic the writing the performances everything about it like it just really grabs you by the cockles um when i saw this movie and i was lucky enough to see a preview joe and i said i've just seen a really good poker movie and then when it finally came out on both sides of the atlantic a lot of people were whining at me on social media about how oh but they got poker wrong did you have any issues with the accuracy of the poker in this film not at all and maybe that's outing myself as somebody who uh you know who doesn't notice all the details all the time 
I thought the accuracy of the poker was totally fine. Um, the one thing I, that leapt out to me, there is there, there is a scene in, in her game where a guy, I think, bets 200 and someone raises to 300. And everyone's like, oh, you can't raise to 300 if the bet's 200. Here's the thing. People forget all manner of shit flies in most home games. And that's what this is. This is a glorified home game played for high stakes. And yeah. no one is ever going to call out the table mark if they make a mistake. No, they're just going to pat him on the back and tell him the good race. Like, I guess there's that one scene which Jesse and I argued a little bit about, not argued, but like debated, where player X, a.k.a. Spider-Man, um, <laughs> decides uh, that he, he – Molly's narrating and she says the player he's playing against has the literal nuts and player X gets him to fold. Now – I believe in that in that scene the the board is completely dealt also, right? I believe so. I believe the hand has gone to the river. And so I couldn't we couldn't figure out if she meant that see in my mind what had happened is that player X was so confident and such a such an overwhelming force at the table personality wise that even though the guy he was playing against had the actual nuts, he still folded. I can believe that. People make mistakes. And again, just because yes. a player has the nuts, they might not know they have the nuts. And we've right. seen that at a professional level. And I think that that is a hard thing for pure poker players to wrap their heads around that any person would ever fold the nuts. And I think that when you're playing against one of the biggest movie stars in the world, you can look at your hand. You can even know it's the nuts and still decide you want to fold to this guy crucially and bear in mind as we keep saying there's not a ton of poker in this film the way people talk about the game the way they act at the table like how they hold cards how they handle chips feels authentic this film feels like i i brought it, i bought it i believe that these people were poker players i believe that the game i was watching was real and when there is analysis of a hand which is done in a very cute aaron sorkin way with voiceover and graphics it felt real it wasn't pandering to the audience. Yeah, the graphics were were different than the way that we would choose to highlight various graphics or to talk about the hand, but it was still pretty accurate. I agree. And I also agree that in some of the spots where things may have seemed inauthentic, don't forget, these were people, they were posers. Yeah, completely. They were, you know, they were trying to act like poker players, and a lot of times they get shit wrong. And I, if the most entertaining part of the film for me was basically identifying who the players were. And we'll talk about Player X in a moment, but one thing that made me laugh was the uh, guy on the fringes of the Hollywood scene who won the World Series of Poker main event for $12 million. Never named, but we all know that's clearly Jamie Gold. Um, I thought Player X might have been designed to be uh, a composite and been a, a bit of Tobey Maguire, a bit of Leonardo DiCaprio, maybe a bit of Ben Affleck. But it's clear that no, Player X is very clearly Tobey Maguire. Yeah, for sure. Uh, he's definitely him. Um, you know, kind of disappointing to see at least the character in this movie is portrayed as such a sociopath. Well, um, certainly, I mean, in the book where he is named as Tobey Maguire, he does not come out of it well. A poker player told me uh, years ago uh, that that Tobey Maguire is believed to be the winningest poker player of all time, like b bigger than any high roller, any guy that's ever played at Aria is that, uh, you know, millions and millions uh, of dollars have all won by, by Tobey Maguire. And this was a long time ago that uh, this player told me this. So um, there is one guy represented in the movie. Um, do you remember the guy um, 
sort of the Southern guy who like overextends himself and borrows too much money. And then is like, yes. yeah, I can't pay. Yes. The guy that that character is based on or one of the people that he is based on is a guy that Huff and I had dealings with uh, while he was going through all of that. And he tried to option a poker TV show for me and Scott. And the, it was amazing because you know, we had pitched around a couple places and nobody pays for options uh, for TV shows. In his deal, he was going to pay us a thousand bucks to option our show for a year, which Scott and I were thrilled about because we were both assistants at the time. So that was like more than a week's pay for me. And then we went through the contract and we read it and we saw that <laughs> we would retain 1% ownership <laughs> of the show. If he sold it. And so we were like, what the fuck is this? And he told us this story when he was like trying to woo us. He's like, you guys ever had a ball down? And we're like, what, what, what's a ball down? He's like, well, I was playing poker with Matthew McConaughey the other night. And he said, well, we're going to settle this over a ball down. And a ball down is when you take your balls out of your pants and you put one of them down on the table and whosoever ball is bigger wins the pot. This has got to be an urban myth. There's no way this thing is real. Well, I don't know. I did not witness it. But the character, portray- one of wow. the people that is represented by this character in the movie, told me this anecdote about having a ball down with Matthew McConaughey. Wow. Uh, the weird thing is that this is actually quite a long film. I think it's close to two and a half hours running time. And yet it didn't feel like it. It felt so pacey. And that is... Obviously, credit to Sorkin for both his writing and his directorial uh, um, approach to the material. And again, just to highlight, great performances throughout. Um, and I believe it is has been nominated for an Oscar. I believe it's been nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay. Yeah, I think it is. Yes. And I just wanted to say that. So while I'm sitting there wondering which is what is accurate about this, what isn't, you know, Take that out of the equation. Let's say this is confirmed 100% true story or confirmed a 100% fictional story. It's a great movie. Just because I'm wondering where the discrepancies are, I take nothing away from the movie. It is a solid 9 out of 10 for me, 8.5 out of 10. Agreed. And that's the great thing is you don't have to know about poker or be a poker fan to appreciate it. But I think if you are a poker fan, you'll get stuff out of it that other people wouldn't. Uh, There is more movie talk to come on Poker in the Years, but we are going to go into the lobby now because it's time to talk free rolls. So this week's free roll, or rather last week's game, Joe, attracted... 75 players including jonathan gallagher who tweeted you need to see this <laughs> yeah he did okay jonathan i didn't need to see it you'd like me to see it right you wanted me this. to watch he, it he was so persuasive with that tweet i was like this must be something really amazing it wasn't uh it was a video of the last hand in the free roll uh where jonathan gets it in bad with tens <laughs> against jacks and and loses uh Jonathan. As a previous superfan, I was hoping to take the glory, and then this happened. And yes, he set that hand to danger zone. Um, Jonathan wanted a shout-out on this week's podcast show. How do you feel about that? He wants to be like, what's up? Word up, former superfan Jonathan Goody, who received 162.50. Him? No, no, no. Jonathan Gallagher. Sorry. Sorry. He wants to be like, hey, Jonathan Gallagher, thanks. You're a former superfan. You uh, you finished third in the free roll. Well done. Whoop, whoop. Yeah, like that's that. what he wants. Yep. Yeah. 
Hello to Andy Gibbons. Shame not to cash in the free roll last night, but I did enjoy ignoring the observers in chat, begging for the password. Can't be any greater feeling than that. Speaking of begging for the password, I would like to give the opposite of congratulations to Lucas Hayes Payne, who on Monday at 8 p.m. wrote to me on Facebook, I can't find the free roll anywhere. Thank you, Lucas. We will give you details on the next free roll shortly, <laughs> and hopefully you can follow them. Pay attention! Uh, Jules bubbled the free roll, but made the final table, so that's kind of a result. Yeah, I mean, you made the final table, but you walked away with the same amount of money as the guy who finished 75th. Uh, actually, a second tweet from Jules, who didn't weigh in on the cash challenge, but has now tweeted his thoughts. I was late to the party on Shark Cage, but really liked it. However, it pales in comparison to this show. The stakes are perfect because they're huge for the qualifier and normal for the pros. The banter is great and the production quality is fab. Couldn't have said it better myself. Don't forget, Cash Challenge continuing to air on Wednesday nights on Channel 4 in the UK. Available to watch everywhere else in the world on Pokestars.tv. And finally, Steve Mark. The Stapes on the Rocks thing. I finally worked it out. He was talking about when you threw yourself into the sea and scraped your legs on the rocks. Stapes on the rocks, the cocktail, was inspired by Stapes' story about him getting bloodied on the rocks in Malibu Beach, which is why it's a form of Bloody Mary. I like how... Wait, is he calling me a Mary? I like how you say you figured it out, but really he explained it to you. Ironically, I had worked it out when I was listening back to the podcast. Oh, stop it. Oh, come on. Because I suddenly realized, oh, yeah, Joe told that story about how he destroyed himself on the rocks in Malibu. But what I didn't make was the connection between blood and the fact that it was a tomato juice vodka based drink with body hair as well. <laughs> uh, anyway, congratulations to Goody2911 from the UK, who won last week's free roll for $162.50. The next $500 free roll takes place on Friday, the 9th of February. So if you waited until the weekend to listen to this, you lose. Friday the 9th of February at 5 past 5 Eastern. That is 5 past 10 in the evening GMT. That is 5 past 11 at night Central European time. As ever, the free roll only appears in the lobby 20 minutes before it starts. The name of the free roll, Double Feature Friday. Nice. Movies. And the password, penultimate. Ooh, what is, why is it penultimate? Because apparently it's a word I overused that Daniel Negreanu didn't know the meaning of. Okay, so it's not like the penultimate episode of the podcast or anything. No, it's just because <laughs> I was running out of password ideas and needed to send the email, so I just wrote down penultimate. Okay. So for good. the avoidance of doubt, that's lowercase p-e-n-u-l-t-i-m-a-t-e. Penultimate will get you into the double feature Friday free roll starting on Friday the 9th of February. Apologies if you missed it. That is at 5 past 10 UK time, 5 past 11 Central European time, 5 past 5 in the evening Eastern time. So good luck to everyone playing the free roll and good luck to this week's Superfan. It's time to get him on the air. Superfan versus States. So please welcome to Poker in the Ears from Durham in the UK, Chris Sanderson. Greetings, Chris. Hello, James. How are you? Good, thank you. Joseph's here as well. Say hello to Joe. Hello, Joe. Nice to speak to you, my friend. Hello, Chris. Yes, we are friends, I feel like. I feel like I would like you. I feel like I've known you a long time, mate. <laughs> I feel like I, I just watched Dunkirk recently. I feel like I just saw you like get rescued on a, on a fishing boat. 
Is that a comment on the accent? I think so. <laughs> Tell us about your life, Chris Sanderson. What do you do in Durham? Well, uh, I just, I'm from a little village, West Cornforth. I just, you know, I'm 26. I've got a job at a little restaurant slash hotel. West Confif, is that spelled C-O-N-F-F-Y-F-F-E? <laughs> Cornforth. Oh, Cornforth, okay. If I use the Queen's English, West Cornforth. Is it just before West Cornforth? Oh my God, please, I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's so early here. I have to... <laughs> I just have to, it's near the end of the show and I've just been giving it my all and I just, I got nothing left for you, Chris. That's all right. That, that's a good one. It's one in the hole. What's no. your, what's your job in the hotel? Uh, I cook breakfast and uh, clean, I clean the kitchen. What's your specialty? Oh, wait, it's greasy spoon really. So fried eggs, fried bacon, scrambled egg. <laughs> what a skill frying things. Oh, it's, uh, it's rewarding work. <laughs> I'm sure the clientele appreciate it. I, I, my mouth is watering at the thought, to be honest. Uh, Chris, what's your poker story? How long have you played the game? Um, well, it's been recreational for about two years, you know, just with my friends. And then yeah. I've, I've decided I want to learn more about it and, you know, get into some materials and just have fun with it, really. He decided he wanted to learn more about it, so he started watching Jason Somerville. I was going to say, if you're hoping to learn more by listening to this podcast, you are probably making a grave mistake. But... <laughs> We obviously do have prizes on offer, those prizes being a mini chipset and a satellite ticket. Um, we've had various people choose Star Wars-themed subjects. We've done The Empire Strikes Back. We've done Return of the Jedi quite recently, in fact. But no one has ever picked the original Star Wars 1977, and that's what you're going to be answering questions on today. Yeah, I don't know why. Yeah, it's the best one. Of course it's the best one. Uh, it's also, Joe, is it fair to say the one you know least best? Um, it's actually the one I've seen the most times and the most times the most frequently. Okay. Um, I started with Empire as a kid. We had Empire and VHS, so I'd watch Empire over and over again. And then we had, well, actually I didn't because Empire I thought was a bummer. And then we had Jedi on, not VHS, excuse me, on Betamax. And so I would watch, uh, Jedi a lot. And it wasn't until they re-released it when I was like 13 that I saw, Star Wars, but I saw it four times, the special edition in the theater. So that's really probably the one I know the best at this point. The special edition, otherwise known as the shit version. <laughs> the I mean, look, all I, all I cared about is that there was like new shots and I was like, oh, this is great. I mean, yeah, stepping no, on Jabba's tail. Is it's, it's not great. That's the problem. <laughs> uh, so here's the deal, guys. This is the problem, Chris, when you pick a subject like Star Wars, something I grew up with and something which I am an uber geek on. I crank up the nerd level, we lose all that multiple choice shit, and we get into hardcore questions. So prepare yourselves. What I will say is there are 19 questions in total, including the bonuses and the tiebreaker. And so far, uh, just a straw poll, one of our producers, Chris, he scored 16 out of 19. And producer Ben, he got about 12 or 13. So it's not impossible. But the questions are tough, I'm not going to lie. And I'm also just going to go in order, and the only question I'm going to ask of you, Chris, right now, is whether you want to go first or second, whether you want to take the odd-numbered questions or the even-numbered questions. Um, I'll, t I'll take the odd numbers. Why okay. Not? In that case, you are going to go first. The first Can I just make a comment really quick about the fact that producer Chris got 17, 16 out of 19? Yeah. Chris is almost a virgin. 
He's had one child. He has had sex exactly one time. Ben has two children and has had sex two times. I do not like my chances in this quiz because I have had sex four times in my life, James. But you are also an uber nerd, so it might not be a lost cause, Joe. We will see as the game progresses. We start with, Chris, we start with question one, and round one is complete the quotes. I'm going to give you half a line, Chris. I would like you to complete the line. If this is a consular ship... If if this is a consular ship... uh, I've got nothing. I can't complete it. Joe, can you complete the line? If this is a consular ship, then where are the consuls? No, where is the ambassador? You do realize that every listener is shouting the answer right now. (laughs) Look, I got it. I said it. Darth Vader, yeah. No, no, Joe, you didn't get it. And Chris, you didn't get it either. But Chris, there is a bonus question attached. Uh, And I'll give you a clue as well. Can you name the character who is then violently choked to death by Lord Vader? His name is mentioned in the movie because C-3PO refers to him as our last master. Is it Antilles? I'm going to give it to you. Captain Antilles is the answer. Joe, your quote. Complete this quote from the original Star Wars. Until this battle station is fully operational... No one gets any vacation time. Chris, you can steal. Uh, until this is complete. Uh, no, I've got nothing for this one. <laughs> we are vulnerable. It's from the Imperial boardroom scene, and the bonus question Joe relates to that scene. Which that was char- right before the vacation line. Which character thinks it's a good idea to taunt Lord Vader over his devotion to an ancient religion? That would be Grand Moff Tarkin. It's not Tarkin. Who is it, Chris? Ah, I cannot think of his name, but he chokes him out. I don't, I don't know his name. <laughs> his name is Admiral Motti. Motti. Chris, oh, this God. is easy. If you don't get this one... <laughs> More like Admiral Shoddy. If you don't get this one, I'm tempted to say that you lose a prize by default, okay? Okay, yeah, I'm ready. Complete the quote. This is our most desperate hour. Uh, I can't it. I've gone blank. Blank? Joe, surely you know this. Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're a new hope. I'm not going to give it to you. That was a misquote. It was the titular line of the movie. (laughs) It is. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. What did I say? You said, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're the new hope. (laughs) I think you both need to hang your heads in shame. Chris, there is a chance (laughs) to redeem yourself if you can get the bonus question, in which section of the Death Star is Princess Leia imprisoned? The detention level. But which detention level? Come on. Level five. Joe? Yeah? Level seven. AA23. Oh, I was so freaking close. Joe, complete the quote. But with the blast shield down, I can't even see. Aren't you a little short for a stormtrooper? Chris? (laughs) Use the force. (laughs) Jesus Christ. How am I supposed to fight? 
Don't pick Star Wars as your specialist subject if you don't know Star Wars. <laughs> this is so ridiculous. Joe, Chris, there is a bonus you, question. So how many times did you read the script last night? <laughs> About none. Joe, see if you can get the bonus question. Yeah. What is the full name of Luke's childhood friend who is killed during the attack on the Death Star? Um, Jason Biggs. Do you know the answer, Chris? It's Biggs. Dark light everything. It is. You steal. And you have a 2-0 lead as we go into the second round. General trivia questions now. And Chris, this is your question. And again, I would say you should get this. What two observations does Obi-Wan make that suggest the Jawas were killed by stormtroopers rather than sand people? Uh, that would be the accuracy of the, the, the laser blasts on the sand crawler. Yes, and? And the, like the, 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 the Excuse me. The travel, the way they traveled there, sand, sand people traveling. I'll give it to you. Yes, the Bantha tracks are side by side. Yeah, sand people yeah, usually ride single file to hide their numbers. You score a full point for that one, and you get a bonus question. What are sand people more formally referred to as? Tuscan Raiders. They are. You are now the 4 0 lead. Joe, your question. How much does Obi Wan offer to pay Han Solo for their one way trip to Alderaan? Ten thousand. No, you can steal, Chris. Um, he offers to pay him seventeen thousand. He does indeed. You steal, but Joe, you get the bonus question first. What's the payment plan? Two thousand. Now the rest when we safely arrive. Correct. You're on the board, Chris. You still have a five-one lead. Your next question. According to Han Solo, traveling through hyperspace isn't like what? Oh, I don't. The exact line escapes me again. Joe, you can steal. Traveling through space isn't like harvesting blue milk. No, it's dusting crops, boy. Uh, the bonus question, which goes to you, Chris. In which docking bay was the Millennium Falcon located on Tatooine? Oh, 94. It was. Yeah. Good knowledge. Holy shit. He is redeeming himself, slowly but surely. Joe, your question. When threatened with the destruction of her home planet, where does Leia say the rebel base is located? Hold on. Dantooine. Yes. And the bonus question. Where is the rebel base actually located? It's on Hoth. No, that's in the Empire Strikes Back, you dimwit! You didn't make, you didn't weren't specific. You this said, questions the are about located? Star Wars, the original movie. You're saying, you're saying during Star Wars, Star Wars, there is no Rebel base on Hoth. The Rebel base is not on Hoth, Chris. Where is it? It's Yavin. It is yeah. for a point. And Chris, it's your question. There are options here because it's an elimination you should question. Should have asked where is the Rebel base on Yavin located. Something tells me you're not going to win. Even if I was going to judge this fairly, you're not going to win, but I'm not, and you're not going to win. Chris, which of these things from the prequels is not mentioned in the original Star Wars? The Clone Wars, the Republic, the Senate, or the Sith? Mm. 
actually, that's a tricky one. <sighs> the Republic. The Republic is mentioned, but the Sith is not. Joe, oh. your question. Which one of the following Star Wars characters actually became an action figure in the original Kenner collection? Was it Grand Moff Tarkin, Uncle Owen, Ponda Baba, or Dr. Cornelius Evazen? Dr. Cornelius. No, it was Ponda Barber, a.k.a. Warus Man, which means this quiz is at an end. Chris, you scored <laughs> seven points. Well done. Joe, you only got two, which means I can say with some accuracy that you have crushed in this game if Superfan versus Tapes. You get both the mini chipset and the satellite ticket. Congratulations, sir. Wow, after a rocky start. Yeah, thank you. You did get the rocky start, and despite my threat to take away a prize for not knowing that help me Obi-Wan Kenobi quote, I'm going to be nice. You've appealed to my better nature by being such a polite boy that you are going to get both prizes. And I'm intrigued because Joe and I are about to launch into our in-depth, spoiler-filled review of The Last Jedi. In a short line, what did you think of the most recent Star Wars movie? Um, the Last Jedi? Well, you know, it's, it's going to be a different sort of trilogy, isn't it? It's not... It pays homage to the others, but it's its own deal, really, isn't it? Yeah, I it think that's a fair off, summary. It sees off the old characters well, well enough, I suppose. Well, it's time for Joe and I to get into that movie. We say thank you, Chris. Thank you for listening. Thank you for taking part. And congrats once again. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, James. The irony is, Joe, I don't really want to spend too long talking about Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi because I feel that we've now had our fill of Star Wars geekery, probably for at least the next six months. Yeah, but we got to do it. We've I mean, got to do gotta, it. It goes as long as it goes. Sorry, guys. Um, but uh... Quick caveat. There will be spoilers. We're going to discuss the plot. We're going to discuss specific scenes. So I would say, actually, that if you haven't seen the film, we'll have no interest in hearing us talk about Star Wars anymore this week. You can stop now. Bye. All right, James. Well, I'm not going to lie, and I'm going to get shouted at for this, but I didn't really care for this movie. And when I say I didn't care for it, I would still give it a strong B or B plus. I just didn't love it, and I thought a lot of it was really boring. The weird thing is I have less of a problem with your attitude towards it, which is, you know, a, a B, a B plus, than people who, quote, hated it. I don't get the vitriol. I don't get the people who literally want this movie stripped from the Star Wars canon. Well, and I think I hate that we jump to this these days, right? And one of my friends who's like a a, a purist, we'll call him, even though I don't think that's the right word, at first was like really angry with the diversity in this that they were attempting in the Star Wars oh, universe. Piss and off. and I, look, I can understand someone initial reaction being like i don't recognize this this isn't as much about me anymore and therefore I i'm resistant to it this movie he said i'm fine with it I i'm used to it now it's okay it doesn't bother me um and i was really proud of him for that and so 
I think that a lot of the people that have these issues with the movie are the ones that like, I don't like the diversity. I don't like the, the comedy. And I don't. Just a quick reason- note on the diversity, Joe, because this yeah. is a common complaint being made that they are trying too hard. The irony yeah. is they could make a fucking thousand movies like this and it still wouldn't come close to readdressing the balance. Sure. Of course not. Of course not. So, you know, I do think that some people are just immature. I'll just say that. I'll just say that the reasons they don't like this are immature. Um, I, I like the diversity. I like the comedy. I like that someone finally figured out you can drive a car through a Star Destroyer at light speed um, that no one ever thought of before somehow and all the times they needed to blow up spaceships. I didn't even mind that. But in the what same I, way that Force Lightning wasn't introduced until Return of the Jedi and we'd had, you know, two movies where no one had ever done that before, isn't it good that we're still seeing new things and discovering things for the first time? Like I said, I, I can get past that. I can go, oh, well... It was such been... a breathtaking moment. It was such... Totally. The visual realisation of it was so breathtaking and the way it just goes completely silent. It was a perfectly realised moment in the film. What really made this film so much less enjoyable for me was I didn't like all the boring scenes on Dagobah where Obi-Wan is refusing to train Anakin. I mean, Yoda is refusing to train Luke. I mean, where Luke is refusing to tra- – like, it was so – like, the I was like, oh, this is where Rey goes to Luke's home planet, and he very reluctantly gives her a few pieces of wisdom even though he refuses to speak to her. And, like, sitting through all of that, I just found it to be super tedious – I thought all of this stuff of her seeing her own reflection and picking up rocks was so obvious and boring and just made me sit there going, please, please do something interesting here. Now, the parts of the movie where they did interesting things that pissed people off, like driving a car through a Star Destroyer or Kylo Ren killing Snoke, fine with it. Totally fine with it. Even if I didn't completely, it wasn't what I wanted or expected. At least where things were happening, I was okay with all of it. Yeah, the stuff on um, on Dagobah, on Octo. I mean, I found a lot of it unnecessary, and I feel it could have been pared down. Like all the stuff with Luke milking that creature, or going fishing, or having the maids clean up after him, and all that stuff. It it was nice, but in a movie that's two and a half hours long, you don't need it. What I did like about all the scenes on that planet were when Rey was forming her connection with Kylo Ren. And I think that... Fine. What most Different. people... Something we hadn't seen before. Exactly. And I think where most people seem to actually agree on this movie across the board is that the relationship between Kylo Ren and Rey was the strongest thing about this film. And all of the scenes with those two, whether they're in the same room, be that Snoke's chamber where there's that amazing battle scene with the guards. And of yeah. course, that shocking moment when Snoke dies, it's like, you can't kill him off. We we haven't learned who he is. It doesn't matter. And again, I like that convention defying twist that having spent two years of people making YouTube videos about who Snoke might be, the film just says, fuck you, he's inconsequential. He was a plot device designed to get Kylo Ren to where he is now. I mean, I I, I was a little disappointed in that, but not enough to dislike the movie. I just went, oh, this is cool, but I also don't think that that, that is the end of it. No, in the um, same I'm way s- that people get pissed off about the fact that, well, you know, if Ray's parents are nobodies, then, you know, what? but surely she's got to be connected to the Kenobi clan or to the Skywalker clan. No, she doesn't. Now, it could well be that Kylo Ren is lying to her. It could well be that her parents aren't nobodies. But you know what? If they are, if he's telling the truth, 
It doesn't matter. Right. I totally agree. Like maybe maybe everyone is maybe it's just a pump fake from the filmmakers here. I don't think Snoke will come back to life, but you know, maybe it's a pump fake and maybe it's not, but either way, I'm fine with it. Like that was cool. I was all good with all that stuff. But the key thing is, even though it very much felt grounded in the Star Wars universe, and yes, there were the usual kind of parallels with other films and the references to other moments and other films, it was trying to be something different. It was trying to do something different, as you've already alluded to. You know, for once, the heroes aren't trying to destroy a giant laser. And that idea of the rebellion on the run, seeing that fleet decimated, seeing their numbers going down until there's just a handful remaining was genuinely tense. Yeah, and I thought it was cool. I mean, look, um, again, it sort of broke from the structure of most of the movies where they take place over like a fairly long period of time. This is over the course of like a day or two. Um, and I like that. That was fine. That was totally fine. What do we think about, let's take a, let's just like the movie does, let's take a detour and talk about this Monte Carlo. Canto Bite, the casino this, planet. Yeah, the casino planet. Um, I have mixed feelings about this. I do. I, I, didn't I, have as, I didn't have as big an issue as some people. I do concede that it's closer to the prequels than it is the original trilogy, and that there were a lot of unnecessary CGI moments and CGI characters, but it was clearly necessary, not for the plot of this film, but in establishing characters who are clearly going to become part of Ryan Johnson's new trilogy down the line. Right, so that would be the what's it, Benicio del Toro? And, no, I um, think it's the kids. Oh wait, but what's his name's got to Theroux's got to be. No, I don't think Justin Theroux was anything more than a, a red herring. I think the fact that he chose to make the last shot of the film one of those kids on Canto Bite summoning the broomstick, and oh, you realize that that child sorry. is force sensitive. That's when you realize. The reason to visit that planet, the reason to introduce those children, is they are clearly going to become something down the line. Those specific children? Yes. See, I thought the point of that was to be that these kids are everywhere. It could be, but also knowing that the intention is for Ryan Johnson to make an original trilogy that's not connected to the Skywalker family, I would not mm -hmm. be surprised if those kids were going to be part of it. I see. Well, like, I, I mean... I. But also, it did bring Vinicio del Toro's character into this film, and I actually really enjoyed his character. I liked his character. I wasn't a huge fan of the speech affectation he had, and I know that's his thing in a bunch of movies, that he likes to talk funny. I, I didn't love that, but the character was cool. Um, yeah, I had mixed feelings. I, like, I liked the little the horse racing thing. I kind of liked, kind of didn't. I did like the, the message, even though it was really heavy-handed, um, of like, Hey, these are people selling arms to both sides. These are terrible people. Aren't rich people bad? That that theme never gets old. I'm okay with that. Um, as far as it, it bothered me in like a sense where we're supposed to be working in a, a like an enclosed time frame. You know, like the 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 fleet is on the run and they have time to go do this. Yeah. side mission it, it, that kind of bugged it, me a little it did feel shoehorned in it was clearly designed purely to give finn something to do yeah the problem is they saddled a sidekick with a sidekick never yes. a good thing to do in a movie and it did distract from the store the overall story of the film um the thing that bothered me more than the whole canto bite sequence why couldn't laura dern just tell oscar isaac <laughs> what her plan was <laughs> She would have saved herself so many problems and so much bother. It's like, 
I get the fact that he's impulsive. I get the fact that he's pulling rank. But seriously, just tell him, I've got a plan. It's all in hand. Here's what we're doing. And he would have been, he would have gone, that's a fantastic idea. Let's do that. Right. And also, especially since what he tried to do to counteract her doing nothing failed miserably. And um, as a direct result of that, tipped the First Order off to what they were doing. Right. And so if, if, if his plan had been successful and she went, well, that was all along just to get you to, to pull off that maneuver, then it makes more sense. But the way it all went down, no, it, it doesn't make yeah. any sense whatsoever. Um, so like I said, when, when things were happening, I really liked it. When things weren't, I, I really didn't care for it. James, let's talk about, before we get to, to Luke, Leia floating through space. As someone described it to me on social media, and apologies for not crediting whoever it was came up with this line, the Mary Poppins sequence. Yeah. Uh, what the fuck was that about? I See, okay, good. I, I Again, it's one of those things that I can just look past, but it just seems like there's so many better ways that you can do that. Probably my um, least favorite part of the movie, to be honest. And also, th this is what really makes it hilarious to me, is that... You have to be so attached to that happening in the movie because your actress dies in real life. You have the perfect opportunity to erase her from the film. She's There you go. She's been killed. No, not only does she have to live, but she has to float through space like Mary Poppins. That's how important that was <laughs> that that happened. It is sad, by the way, that clearly the intention was that the first film would be Han Solo's movie, the second movie would be Luke Skywalker's movie, and the third film in the trilogy was meant to be Leia's movie, and that now can't happen. Yeah. Um, but this is Luke's story, and I'm interested in what you thought of the Luke story arc, because, again, this is something that's annoyed so many people. They can't kill off Luke Skywalker! Yes, they can, because eventually they have to let go of the past. I thought that the execution of that last sequence was perfect. I love the reveal that he's not really there, that he's summoning the force. And it's not that all of his energies have been spent and that he then dies from exhaustion. It's the fact that he's, his mission is complete. He's done what he was there to do. And now it's time for him to move on. Yes. So other than the fact, look, I would have loved to see him go. You're a Jedi. We're going to do it right this time. Let's have a kick-ass training, and I'm going to turn you into an even bigger, more badass Jedi instead of all the hemming and hawing and acting like a complete wimp. Um, that bothered me. As far as everything that happened after she left the planet, loved it, thought it was great, have no issues with him ascending up into heaven or whatever the fuck the Jedi do, similar to the way that, that Yoda did. And in a sense... Obi-Wan as well. You know, there's that weird scene where Obi-Wan doesn't actually get killed by Vader. And it kind of is, um, you know, it's, 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 you know, it's the whole floating away thing. It happens in a slightly different way. But, you know, his, like, cloak drops to the ground or whatever. And I want to draw attention to the fact that there are some beautiful images in this film. We already talked about the... Uh, the, the red sand salt shit is just fantastic. And that's a real place. The fact that that's not CGI is just is just genius. But the... the we talked about the, the, the space cruiser going through the Star Destroyer. Luke's final moment, the way in which it's shot through that cave, and the fact that it's the twin sons echoing Luke, staring at those sons as a child, wondering what his future would hold when he was back on Tatooine. I mean, it definitely will bring the tear, a tear to the eye of anyone who grew up with those films, as you say, as the cape floats away. But 
He obviously they're not saying anything, but I would not be surprised if Luke appears as a force ghost in the in the third film in the series. Yeah, of course. And to me, you know, that'll be that'll be interesting to see, but also disappointing because the force ghosts don't really do much usually, except for um, you know they usually tend to appear after the hard stuff is over. Um, so you know, but yes, yeah, so you're not saying goodbye to Mark Hamill or to Luke Skywalker, but. Yeah, I, I thought that the whole Luke thing was fine, and people got to get over it, man. Like, it's yeah. time to move on. But the weird thing is, I've seen this film twice now, and I'm still not 100% sure how I feel about it. I loved it the first time I saw it. I thoroughly enjoyed it the second time I saw it. But it's only really after a year or multiple viewings that I'll really be able to rank it alongside the other films. So I'm looking forward to its release, I guess, next month, when I can watch it at home and revisit certain sequences, get over the stuff that annoyed me, and make a kind of proper final judgment i mean there were people that i really respect who are saying it is the best or the second best star wars film and i don't feel that way about it at all i don't hate it like i hate the prequels um obviously but i would rank it as far as the new movies are concerned i would rank it third yeah i mean my, my opinions change all the time the first time i watched rogue one i wasn't a huge fan I, I i fanboyed during the last act but the first half of it i thought was like meh but i've seen it again three or four times now at home and i absolutely love that film it's the only one that i have any desire to rewatch. I, i've like every time i scroll past it i'm like on netflix i'm like oh, i really kind of watched no i won't so for me it goes rogue one then uh, what is it? The Force Awakens. Yeah. Then this one, but it doesn't mean I think this one's. I think this one's bad. I just don't love it. As I said, I need to revisit it. I need to form a final opinion. Poker in the ears. All right, my babies. That's all the time we got for this week's show. Next week, it is all about the platinum passes yes. for your asses. I can say it on the podcast. <laughs> I'm not allowed to say it when we're doing live stuff. We got platinum passes for your asses. Time to catch up on all of our winners so far. I'm going to insert you... a caveat into that sentence because okay. when we planned to talk about all the winners, I didn't realize that by the time we came to record the podcast, there'd be nearly 40 of them. There's 40. Wow. Okay. Well, there's over 30. And I feel that by the time we get to next week, it's going to be between 30 and 40. I mean, I guess there's over 300 to give away in a year. That right? is true. So what is that? There's 52 weeks in a year. What does that add up to? How, Six what is a that? week. Six a week. Wow. That is fucking wild. Excellent. Great. Well, we should have saved that little bit of math for the Platinum Pass show. Anyway, <laughs> our guest next week will be Finton Gavin. You have heard of him. He's been he's been lying in the weeds of the, the UK poker scene for, for many years now. He's a UK IPT winner, EPT runner-up, two-time Megastack winner, and most recently in winning his most recent Megastack, he got a Platinum Pass. Yes, so Finson is going to be a guest on the show next week, a show for which we'll be sat in the same room again. That's right, I'm back in England. We are doing more Cash Challenge voiceover. But until then, for James Hardigan, I am Joe Stapleton. Smell you later. Later.